This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Saturday, August 24th, 2019. On this day in 1981, 26-year-old Mark David Chapman was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years to life in prison for the murder of beloved songwriter, singer, and Beatle, John Lennon. It was the culmination of an eight-month-long saga in which the criminal justice system and the world at large tried to make sense of Chapman's madness. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original Every day, we tell a timely story from true crime history, then analyze the historical impact of that day's events. Today, we're looking at the man who killed John Lennon. August 24, 1981, was the conclusion to a violent, bizarre, and tragic saga that began eight months prior. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Let's go back to the morning of August 24th inside the New York State Supreme Court in Manhattan. Everyone in the courtroom stood as Judge Dennis Edwards took the bench. This would, hopefully, be a shorter proceeding than the previous official gatherings on this particular case. Eight months had passed since John Lennon was murdered. The defense team for his killer, Mark David Chapman, had butted heads with the prosecution over every point, drawing out the proceedings. They argued that Chapman wasn't even competent enough to stand trial. But then, in a sudden reversal, Chapman had admitted his guilt. The court accepted his plea. All that remained was to render sentencing. It was a small gathering. Given the high-profile nature of the crime, the court kept the hearing private, hoping to stem the tide of rabid paparazzi who tried to snap pictures of the infamous killer. Judge Edwards was in a good mood. Just two months ago, it had seemed that the case was gridlocked on the matter of Chapman's sanity. A trial seemed inevitable. Jury selection was already underway when Chapman revised his plea. 
Now, on August 24th, there were a few people who were scheduled to speak. First, Chapman's attorney, Jonathan Marks, who vehemently objected to his client's admission of guilt. Marks was the second attorney to take on Chapman's case. Chapman's original court-appointed lawyer, Herbert Adlerberg, had abdicated from the case out of fear. No one had blamed him. As soon as Chapman's name had been publicized as the accused killer, swarms of heartbroken fans had taken to standing outside the court. Adlerberg feared that he might be lynched by the overzealous crowd. So Marx had come in, and he had more or less regretted it ever since. On the day of the sentencing hearing, Marx bluntly told Judge Edwards that he felt Chapman had no appreciation for the work he was trying to do. But despite the frustration, Marx was on the clock. He reiterated his concerns. He pointed to the pattern of erratic behavior Chapman had displayed prior to killing Lennon, and to the downright bizarre things he had said and done during the trial. His switching from not guilty to guilty was, in Mark's opinion, not the action of a rational man. Thus, Chapman did not belong in prison. He belonged in an asylum. Marx had come prepared. He'd arranged for two psychiatrists to speak to the judge about Chapman's mental state. Psychiatrist Dr. Dorothy Lewis, who also examined serial killers Ted Bundy and Joel Rifkin, reiterated Mark's objections that Chapman's actions were not those of a sane man. She urged the judge to allow more tests. It was at that point that Judge Edwards snapped. He interrupted Lewis and took the entire defense team to task. There would be no more tests. The defense, the prosecution, and the court had ordered over a dozen psychiatric examinations to determine Chapman's sanity. The results were inconclusive and could indicate everything from manic depression to full-blown psychosis. But Edwards was convinced that Chapman had made the decision to plead guilty of his own volition. He barked at Lewis and Marx that they were not at trial. There was no argument to be made. Chapman had pleaded guilty. And in the court's opinion, that's exactly what he was. The few people who were present that day couldn't help but applaud at that statement. Everyone knew that nothing could replace what was lost when Lenin was killed. But at least there may be some justice for his memory. The district attorney stood before the judge and simply reiterated his main argument. Chapman wanted to be famous. He'd killed Lenin to become famous. There was nothing more to it. Finally, Edwards offered Chapman the chance to make a statement. To the surprise of some, Chapman stood up. For months now, he had made claims that God told him to kill Lenin. No one knew what Chapman was going to say until he held up the paper. As he began to read a quote, no one needed to ask what it was from. I keep picturing all these little kids playing some game in this big field of rye and all. Thousands of little kids, and nobody's around. Nobody big, I mean, except me. 
and I'm standing on the edge of some crazy cliff. What I have to do, I have to catch everybody if they start to go over the cliff. I mean, if they're running and they don't look where they're going to have to come out from somewhere and catch them. That's all I do all day. I'd just be the catcher in the rye and all. Chapman and J.D. Salinger's novel, Catcher in the Rye, had been inextricably linked since the murder. Chapman had a copy of the book on him when he was arrested. Throughout the trial, he'd claimed over and over again that he was Holden Caulfield, the protagonist from the novel. And now, as his last act before his sentence was finalized, he read a quote from the book. Mark David Chapman was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison for the crime of murdering John Lennon. Judge Edwards shaved five years off of the maximum sentence of 25 years to life as a reward to Chapman for pleading guilty and saving the court the money and publicity of a trial. But the world had lost an icon in John Lennon, and everyone was still wondering why did Chapman do it? Coming up, we'll dive into Mark David Chapman's twisted psychology. Now, back to the story. The murder of John Lennon would have become a global news story regardless of who actually pulled the trigger. But as the world came to learn more about Mark David Chapman, the story only became more bizarre. In December of 1980, Mark David Chapman was a 25-year-old, recently unemployed security guard living in Hawaii. He'd never committed a violent crime. According to his wife, Gloria, he'd never given any kind of indication that he was capable of the crime that would make him famous. But the tragic reality is that Chapman was an unwell man who had been fixated on John Lennon for a number of months if not years. He'd been a professed fan of the Beatles, but his opinion of the band and Lennon specifically had soured as a result of the lyrics in Lennon's songs and Lennon's lifestyle, which Chapman perceived as lavish. By 1980, the Beatles had been broken up for 10 years, but Lennon's address at the Dakota Building in New York was no secret, and it was common to see a crowd of Beatle fans camped outside the building, waiting for Lennon to come out. Lennon, by all accounts, enjoyed meeting the fans, signing autographs and shaking hands. It was this comfort within a crowd of obsessive fans that likely contributed to his death. The timeline of Chapman's intentions was a big talking point during his trial. He seemed to have traveled to New York at least once before, in October of 1980, with the intent to kill Lennon. That attempt yielded nothing, but Chapman returned in December. Once again, he was planning to kill someone, though he claimed to be unsure who. He had a list that, in addition to Lennon, included David Bowie and Ronald Reagan. It's likely that Lennon's publicly available address helped influence Chapman's decision. On December 8, 1980, 
Chapman loitered outside the Dakota building. He saw Lennon when he emerged around 5 p.m. Chapman even shook Lennon's hand and got his autograph. Chapman then waited outside the building for nearly six hours. When Lennon returned at close to 11 that night, Chapman approached him, raised his 38 caliber revolver, and fired five shots, four of which struck Lennon. Chapman didn't run. He didn't try to hide what he'd done. When police arrived on the scene, they found Chapman sitting nearby, gun discarded at his feet. He was reading a copy of Catcher in the Rye. Police went through the book as Chapman was processed. They found a scribbled message inside. Quote, this is my statement. Chapman had signed his name as Holden Caulfield. Chapman was charged with second-degree murder. This is interesting because second-degree murder means the murder is intentional but not premeditated. The pretrial proceedings would become fixated on Chapman's mental state. The question wasn't necessarily, is Chapman crazy, but rather, how crazy is he? Some psychiatrists determined that Chapman was a paranoid schizophrenic, Others claimed psychosis. Others presented him as generally delusional without a specific diagnosis. Building off of that, Chapman's defense team entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Chapman did little to persuade people of his mental acuity during this time. He reiterated that he was just following God's will by killing Lenin. He even wrote letters to the New York Times that his primary goal in life was to make more people read Catcher in the Rye. Chapman eventually surprised everyone by announcing that God told him to plead guilty. He was ultimately sentenced on this day, August 24th, in 1981. Chapman currently resides in Wendy Correctional Facility in New York. As of 2018, he has been denied parole 10 times. To this day, no one can say for sure what went through Chapman's mind on the day he shot John Lennon. All that we can really be sure of is this. It doesn't matter whether Chapman's goal was to be famous. He became famous, or more accurately, infamous, all the same. For more information on John Lennon, check out ParCast's other show, Historical Figures, where my co-host Carter and I did an episode on his life. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. 
At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Liebeskind, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Colin McLaughlin. I'm Vanessa Richardson.